0: This episode includes conversations exploring suicidal ideation. If you or anyone you know is struggling with suicidal ideation, reach out for help. Dial 988 to reach the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, which provides 24-7 free and confidential support for people in distress and prevention and crisis resources. Additionally, text 741-741 from anywhere in the U.S. to text with a trained crisis counselor. Welcome to Mind of a Song. I am Meg Bierman, a licensed professional counselor and art therapist in Nashville, Tennessee. Here at the Mind of a Song podcast, we explore the intersection of mental health, musicianship, and resilience. As you know, each episode on Mind of a Song focuses on one aspect of mental health, and this week we're exploring depression. For all mental health disorders, there is specific criteria one meets in order to be clinically diagnosed with depression. However, in my long-term work with clients who struggle with depression, I find it incredibly important to hone in on each client's unique set of symptoms because every physical body not only responds to depression differently, but what helps them feel supported while going through depression really varies. In my experience, treating depression is very slow work. So I like to set very appropriate expectations around when a client should expect progress. When treating depression, I find that the actual relationship between myself and my client, is often the most important aspect of the treatment itself because therapy provides a space of connection and depression can be incredibly isolating. By simply showing up to our sessions, the client is engaging in self-care and I'm able to help the client learn how to celebrate small personal victories and increase positive self-perception, which at time honestly feels impossible when in the midst of depression. In the therapy field, we know three things for treatment are helpful. Some people need one, some people need two, and some need all three. Therapy is helpful. Rather than keeping our thoughts and feelings in, talking about them with a clinical professional and getting them out is proven helpful. Medication. For some people, medication can be helpful. I always say helpful to just operate and get us to a consistent baseline. If we operate in a more hyper state, which looks like high worry, high fear, high anxiety, medication can be helpful for some just to bring us down to baseline, which allows us to feel present and not overwhelmed. If we operate in a more hypo state, which looks like low motivation, lethargy, often depression, medication can be helpful just to get us up to a baseline where we can simply have the energy to get to work, to hold a job, to get out of bed, to get showered, or even get in the car just to make it to therapy. The third component is getting our body engaged in some way. And here I hone in on what is specifically helpful for each client. For example, when treating anxiety, sometimes moderate exercise can tire out the body, which then makes it easier to fall asleep. And when we're asleep, it's just more difficult to worry. And as an expressive therapist, creating can be incredibly helpful because it allows your body to safely feel in control. When we start something creative and then we finish it, we feel accomplished and proud of ourselves. So creation, whether art or music, is very helpful in treating depression because it helps build self-esteem. My guest today is Julia Cannon. Julia is a Nashville-based singer-songwriter, recording artist, and producer. When I heard Julia's song, Break, it was both a majestic and brutal depiction of depression. Julia describes this song as what it feels like to be in a relationship with her depression, and I love the idea of exploring depression through this lens. I knew Julia would be the perfect musician to shed light on this mental health disorder, and I am so grateful that she is willing to share her personal experience of depression with us today. Please welcome Julia Cannon singing Break.
1: Some days I try but I can't feel as much as I would like to So I stumble through the day pretending that I can and it's hard to feel like I belong Some days I think that there's a weight upon my chest and it gets heavier the more I breathe and so I lie real still waiting to feel relieved I just want to break down I just wanna break down Occasionally Some days I think that we would all be better off if I was Not allowed to get real close to anyone And then nobody would get let down Some days I fear that I am stuck Inside a brain that I can't fix And I'm too tired to fight And so I turn it off I wanna sleep And I just wanna pray down. I just want to break down occasionally. I just need to leave down. I just need to give. close to my human mind, falling apart of its own design. See the bird sitting on the tree, singing of love and love. Just wanna break down
0: occasionally. Welcome to the podcast, Julia Cannon. So Julia, we I'm so Glad that you're here. I'm so happy to have you. This is awesome. This is amazing. Your song is so beautiful. And when I heard it, I knew right away, this is it. This is the perfect song to have this conversation and explore this topic. Since I put out the last episode, I've had so many people come to me and even say like, how do you get people to open up or even want to talk Mm. about stuff like this? And it's a great question. And as someone, as a therapist, it's easy. I feel so comfortable. It's my job, is talking about depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, any of it. Yeah. Um, I say my job is to be comfortable being uncomfortable. However, it's a great question. So I'm curious for you, curious a little bit to share with us your experience with therapy, how it has been helpful for you and how do you even feel being here, kind of having this conversation? So thank you for your vulnerability, your bravery for coming on here. You seem quite comfortable yeah Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um thank you first of all and thanks for doing this i think this is a really important um thing that you're doing Mm -hmm. i think visibility is so huge and so important and i just remember growing up in a world that told people that if they would go to therapy then they're going to get their head shrunk and i'll give you a reason to cry and so forth and so on
0: it's um, a great question. So for you, what was the temperature <clears throat> like or the climate in your family around seeking mental health support yeah. and therapists? What was the message for you?
1: I think it was mostly, um, I'm first-gen American and both of my parents have been through a lot. My stepdad is indigenous Alaskan. And so there was this big, like, like, you think this is hard, you don't know what hard is mentality that I understand now because they went through so much. I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Everything is relative, though,
0: and generational trauma exists, and cycles happen. Mm -hmm. Um, So almost this, like, in a way minimizing the intensity of the trauma for each each generation.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: uh, I think that's why I'm so comfortable opening up
1: about it. I really want to break the cycles. I really want to, like, show the younger generations in my family that what they're feeling is valid, and they're seen, and they
0: deserve to feel safe and heard and uh, they can also break the cycle. Yeah. What we see is in that intergenerational trauma piece, it's we want to validate those bigger capital T's but also yeah. not minimize the trickle down of that generation
1: underneath. It's tough and like everybody calms down as they get older too. So like my mom mellowed out a lot and we have like a way better relationship now and I have really enjoyed getting to know her as an adult um, and she's opened up so much and, like, just relaxed. Mm-hmm. And I think we've talked about kind of the way that we grew up in that household. And it was just, like, I chalk it all up to survival mode. Um, there was just no space to be soft. You had
0: to be tough. Take us back there for me. So you grew up in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Take us into your childhood a little bit and that unique story. Yeah. Um
1: My mom is from the Philippines. She came to the States when she was 16. uh, And my grandma was hustling, doing everything that she could to bring her kids over. Why? uh, Any idea how they landed in Alaska or what brought them over? The military. My uncle joined the military and it brought him up and then everybody kind of followed him. And then my, my bio dad, He's an electrical engineer. I'm not 100% sure how he ended up there. It's funny to me how two islanders ended up in Alaska because he's Panamanian Jamaican. Wow. And it's cold up there sometimes. Uh Um, But yeah, so that's how they got up there. My stepdad is uh, indigenous Alaskan and I grew up with a really fun mix of cultures. Um, It was very different, but everybody was in survival mode all the time. I was the third of four
0: kids. Um, Can I ask, some uh, sometimes a great way to, like, um, explore that, like, multicultural piece is, like, yeah. what would, like, a typical dinner be like for you?
1: Oh, my mom was the matriarch of a family. It mm-hmm. was oftentimes Filipino food. Yeah. Um, but my stepdad was also a really good cook, so mm-hmm. he would, like, incorporate, incorporate, like, some cool salmon dishes and um, some, like, agudak is, like, this... Or no, it's not agudak. Or maybe it is. I'm going to... Butcher it, because of my brain. Mm-hmm. But there is like a, a blueberry dessert um, that traditionally it would be like some kind of animal fat and mm-hmm. blueberries frozen. Oh. But we grew up doing like a spoonful of Crisco and a little bit of sugar and frozen blueberries. Yeah. Um, so it was really fun and yeah. there was always, always good food. Food is love in, yeah. in, in Filipino culture. Mm-hmm. Like my so mom wouldn't apologize you. to me. She would just be like, I made your favorite. Food.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: my mom opened up her own alteration shop, was working constantly. My stepdad had a really good job and then lost it. Um, and then, like, was constantly between cooking jobs because Alaska's a really small
0: community. Yeah, what it, was it even like growing up there? Like the Really weird. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was really weird. Give us some examples of weird. Okay. Everybody knows each other, like... Uh, yeah. Are you far away, like spread out. Here's a good example. Like I didn't
1: really go to parties a lot. I was very much focused on getting out of there. And I went to a party one time to pick up a friend who needed a ride. Somebody told my mom, like it got to my mom somehow that they saw me at that party and I got in trouble. I didn't even drink that night. The and one time that you. You can't do anything. Everybody knows everybody's business. Okay. Very small town. Anchorage is like more of a city, but like in general, the population of Alaska is so small mm-hmm. that it feels like a really dysfunctional family. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, everybody <laughs> knows everybody's business.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like? Or just take me in a little bit. Other siblings? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I have an older sister. She's six years older than me, an older brother. He's four years older than me and a little brother who's four years younger than me.
0: Do you feel like each of you struggled with similar things or it felt like you were the only one or what did that feel like? My
1: older sister definitely was like, you know, the test child. She was also alive for more of the struggle like, and more aware of the struggle as it was happening before we kind of settled into our struggle. Like... Um, My mom likes to tell this story about how, like, we didn't pay the power bill. And so I decided to put on a concert for everybody, like, trying to entertain and keep up the spirits. (laughs) And for me, I was so young that I was just like, this is normal. But my older sister and brother, like, they felt it more. It registered for them as different. And six years is a big gap, and four Mm -hmm. years is a big gap. And so I feel like they had a different experience. But then as the middle child, I sometimes felt like... I had to keep it together, you know. Like the my little brother ended up being like a really cool, like quiet peacemaker, and I and my older siblings had high emotions because they were the ones getting the brunt of everything we're and experienced more. I was in the middle, trying to take care of everybody,
0: mm-hmm. kind of the middle kid syndrome. So each of you played the roles to survive. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you also make a great point because you know often exploring this idea of like how two people can experience the same trauma or the same experience but it registers for them in different ways whereas like it may register as trauma for one person not even register for someone else yeah when we think about the age in which the trauma happened you make such a good point even developmentally like when we're younger we're just maybe not exposed to the trauma as often because we're Mm -hmm. sleeping more or developmentally just unaware of abuse or um you know, not having the lights on or sort of some of those basic needs being met. Mm -hmm. Whereas an older sibling who is exposed more or has more of a developmental awareness around the trauma, it's gonna affect them differently.
1: And it did. Like my older sister has different trauma than me. My older brother has different trauma
0: than me. Mm -hmm. And we remember our childhoods differently. Totally. Um, tell me a little bit about from the depression perspective. Do you remember like your earliest memory of maybe some of the depression? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I would just sleep. I would just decide that I would be overstimulated, and my mom would like knock on the door and be like, What's wrong with her? She's the moody child. Or I would would slip away. I want to say I started to become aware of it when I was maybe like 10. Mm -hmm. Like it was young, and I don't think that my parents had the tools to recognize what was happening. And I also, now that I'm older, can see that I I got it from them, like how I manage my emotions a lot, like how my parents do, because they were my
0: models. Go a little bit deeper in that for me. How did your parents manage depression, anger, anxiety, all the big emotions? What did you witness Mm -hmm. and interpret and sort of model? My mom, you are correct, that like those things are modeled. Emotions, just like anything else, are modeled for us. A lot of times I give the example of like hygiene, like yeah. at some point, someone took us into the bathtub and said, "Okay, here's a bar of soap, and mm-hmm. you need to wash your private areas under your arms from time to time." It's sometimes we think those things are just. Some people never did that. <laughs> some people never did that, right? And these things we kind of are. Uh, even like food, right? Like at some, yeah. as a as a kid, especially, it's like I want to eat candy for dinner, of course. But at some point, a parent says, "Well, you can eat that sometimes," and creates these boundaries of moderation. Mm-hmm. Someone models that for us. Emotions and feelings and how we manage those are no different.
1: Yeah. Um, my mom would do this really funny thing where when she would get overwhelmed she would just get in her truck and disappear for a couple hours mm. and so I she would like take a break yeah she would just shut down just shut down yep and go mm-hmm. um, and wouldn't say where she's going didn't no, know when she's going
0: to come home no I'd
1: be like mom's coming and we knew she would come back like she always came back and I think that we understood at a young age what she was doing it didn't happen often did it scare you No, because I had my older siblings Mm -hmm. to tell me she's going for one of her drives. She'll be back. And I get it now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I get it. Like healthy, do you think?
1: I think it is healthy to step away if you set the expectations with the people who might feel abandoned that I will be back. I need some space. Set that
0: sense of security.
1: I don't remember if she did that with my older siblings when it was happening. Um, She didn't talk to me about it. And... I think it was the healthier choice for her in a lot of these situations because our household was chaotic. Um, but now I had to reckon with a similar thing. I had a partner who would push. I would say like, I need space, I need to take a break. And they that would trigger something in them and they would push forward. Mm-hmm. And one time I got in my car and I just ended up in Chattanooga and I was like, oh, I'm doing it. I am I'm my mom. doing it now. Yeah, totally. And I was like, I need to tell them that I'm coming home mm-hmm. and wh- where I am and like why I left, but I feel it. And it's funny, because it was one of those I'm my, I'm my mother moments, mm-hmm. like, why did I do this? You know. What was the benefit for you? Like, How did it help you, just
0: getting in the car and driving? I think
1: I was gonna have a panic attack if I stayed. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to manage my panic
0: attacks Um, but I didn't at that moment have those tools. (laughs) You make a great point, right? That it's like taking a break is a wonderful coping skill. Telling your partner, I need a break. I always offer, it's like when we're in the heat of the moment, we're like level 10 arguing, like really upset. We never, like if you go to sleep, if you were to wake up, you're not going to, the first thing when you wake up, be at a level 10, level 12. Yeah. If you take a break. Your body naturally starts to reset so it is a really healthy thing Mm -hmm. but what i'm hearing from you is what i learned in adulthood is making sure that i communicate and make my partner feel secure or just remind everyone hey this is what i'm doing i need my space i'll be back that's a more healthy way to sort of it's not avoidance it's just actively getting the space that i need to come back and enter it from a different more clear-headed perspective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah i think too it's just like a great way to kind of honor what you need but creating that security for your partner is super important or else it just provides all these question marks. And for a child too, it's like um, question marks. It's just like you don't know and that can feel scary.
1: Yeah, I'm so grateful that I had my siblings. Our relationships are complicated, but I can't imagine doing that alone. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it's nice to have that support. Mm -hmm. So you remember being aware of your depression around 10 years old yeah, and something that really sticks out for you is like lethargy or just wanting to take breaks and sleeping a lot.
1: yeah, I always have been overwhelmed easily by like loud noises and too many people doing too many things. Mm-hmm. And I think um both wanting to just sleep all day, uh, and then also I was at like a baby, like a baby shower, um probably around twelve, and I had just like hit my limit and I would hide. I would just go hide and and just like disassociate. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: didn't know that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I needed to and that my family members would come and like prod at me and joke like she's being moody again. She thinks she's better than us. Like, Mm. And I know that it's coming from a place of just ignorance. but I've always been, for better or for worse, very good at listening to what my brain is telling me I need in that moment and then just learning how to do that in a healthier way mm. as I, like, go into adulthood has been hard. but
0: Totally, but isn't but it so worth it? Mm-hmm. Isn't it wild how, like, yeah, I love that you bring in, like, almost like this judgment piece? Like, when I'm younger and when I'm experiencing depression or... Uh, I imagine, I'm guessing, is like the chaos that you experience in your home at such a young age. Some things you remember, some things you probably don't. You're just absorbing Mm -hmm. it all the time. At a certain point, your physical body's like, "Um, my tolerance for this is just this big, like super, super small. So when you start to become overwhelmed, the depression is like actually helpful for you. Because I imagine the sleep, Mm -hmm. you can't be exposed to it when you're sleeping. And also, eventually, that's unhelpful because when you're sleeping too much or when you're yeah. moving yourself too much, you're missing out on life. Mm-hmm. But it makes sense that, like, eventually, your physical body would respond in that way when you're so overstimulated by trauma or yeah. just the the you know it's so overwhelming, so chaotic. Arguments, whatever that looks like for you, that high stress. Eventually your body taps out and it's just kind of like, yeah, I can't really handle this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I love that because I think it's a beautiful way that our body says, I'm going to naturally protect you from this. Exactly. And that dissociation piece kind of comes in. And that looks different for everyone.
1: And you're supposed to learn from those moments instead of continuing to put yourself in those situations. But I think that that is tough. My mom's a very loyal person and she had a really big heart and she's from an island. An island mentality is everybody takes care of each other. So
0: Mm.
1: at one point there was like 20 people in our five bedroom house because she was taking in people who needed shelter, recovering addicts, um, like friends who got kicked out, kids whose parents kicked them out of the house. And I know why she was doing it. And I think it was beautiful. I just think it was really hard for her to balance that with her family's needs, totally, or or her own. And then she also like she would adopt animals that nobody wanted, so that there were like twelve animals Mm -hmm. and like twenty people. And I'm like trying to exist, but also being exposed to people going through some very real things Mm -hmm. at a very young age, and being told like that we have to put those people's needs ahead of our own because we're fine. You know, it's like relativity is everything. And I know my mom has seen a lot of things. So relative to where she had been, we were fine.
0: Um, but as a kid growing up in that, it was hard. Well, I love that you honor that like cultural piece. Because what I'm hearing you say is like, I honor my mom's culture, just is, like island mentality, which is we scoop in, mm-hmm. we help everybody. And then, sort of comparing it to a more American mentality or non island mentality, making that adjustment has to be very, very hard. Because, especially yeah. in America, we're always our needs before anyone else's, placing boundaries. I feel like that's at least more acceptable. Mm-hmm. So, I imagine it was difficult for your mom to sort of transition into, hey, this is, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. And perhaps a little bit of like what we didn't get enough of her neglect on the side. I mean, clearly the message being sent to you was. You know, put other people's needs before your own. Yeah. And especially dealing with mental health or something like depression, it's easy to kind of kind of push that down.
1: I think that's how she coped with her problems was distracting herself with other people's problems. Other people's chaos. Another fun thing I picked up and had to deal with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as Like, from a very young age, I found myself doing a similar thing. I'd be going through mm-hmm. something and I would seek out people who had a lot of problems that maybe were chronic or they didn't address or were big and difficult to take, like, bites out of. Mm-hmm. And I would just put myself or in their
0: sphere. Insert yourself in. So that I didn't think about my problems. Mm-hmm. And there's also, like, I, whenever I kind of process that with clients – the biggest, one of the biggest drives to doing that, mm-hmm. two pieces. One is, yes, distracting yourself from your own thoughts and feelings and what you're going through. So it's a great distraction. Yeah. And then, two, there is that, like, reward. You know, yeah. when we help someone, we feel really good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of tricks us into thinking, too, that maybe our lives are more in control than we think.
1: Yeah, it's a control thing. I know that that's what it was for her. And I really am grateful that I picked up a lot of her habits when it comes to helping people. But then you have to learn how to set boundaries, so that means that I had to learn how to set boundaries on my own as an adult and sometimes there can be a rub between me and my family because I'm like one of the only ones setting boundaries mm-hmm. and that is not love to them love is you give everything good or bad you all, pour the out time. all
0: the time yep mm-hmm. uh, another example I give with like the boundary setting piece or even you know having to Part of a parent's job is to model and teach children healthy habits. Yeah, Um, It's like bedtime. Kids want to stay up all night and like, oh, I hate you. Why are you making me sleep? And like as a parent, we're like, it's actually like, because I love you, I'm going to have you set this boundary. You need to go to bed at 730 because if you don't sleep, you're going to wake up in a horrible mood Mm, and you won't be able to focus. So sometimes we forget, especially, you know, as adults, it's boundaries are actually love. But I imagine that does create like a distance for you if here you are in your own life as an adult woman, learning how boundaries can be really, really helpful for you. And especially if you deal like something with depression or yeah. mental health issues, boundaries is everything.
1: That's what I learned. I learned that my body was just screaming for boundaries mm-hmm. my whole life. And I'm the most healthy I've ever been. And I feel like I'm able to um, have more meaningful relationships with members of my family because I learned boundaries. It's not always reciprocated. And sometimes I have to take breaks from certain people. But I feel like that's part of why my relationship with my mom was repaired was because I started to set boundaries while still showing her that I am present and I love her. I don't know that there are many people in her life that are doing that for her. And I feel really fortunate that she has been going with it.
0: That's so beautiful. And I I often process too when we are kind of going back into our family where the boundaries don't exist as Mm -hmm. strong as us. And I even have clients describe it as like literally like as I you know, get on the plane or as I'm driving towards being with my family, the anxiety just gets higher and higher because yeah. I'm going into this more chaotic boundary It's boundaryless, very triggering. It's very triggering, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Nashville or in my home, it's my safe space and like I have more boundaries and everything feels more in control. Mm-hmm. But what I love is this idea of like, you know, as you, sometimes what it takes is just continuing to model and just hope that at some point I can't control yeah. other people's behaviors or what they choose to do, but I can continue to, hold my boundaries pretty strong and hope like anything that if i continue to do this i can show my family how this can be helpful and at the least they can respect my boundaries but at the most maybe they can adopt some of the things that i'm modeling for them
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's tricky too i had to learn who i could give energy to and who i couldn't who was safe and who wasn't i'm lucky that my mom is a safe space for me now um we had a tumultuous relationship for a little bit in there when I moved away and I started to like, establish my own identity outside of the family. But I had to learn like there's members of the family I just don't need to talk to. I can't put love out and, and have it like mistreated. Um, and then it gives me more space to love the people that I do. But it was tough to learn. I wanted so badly for everyone to just like, you know, my therapists have told me, I've had like three therapists and they've all been like, you can't take people with you. You can't make people do anything that they don't want to do. That's really hard for me to accept as someone who
0: just wants to nurture. Um, is there like, a part of you, Julia, that like wants to be liked by everybody?
1: I don't know if it's liked, but it, it is like respected but not everybody can give you that and you don't need it from everybody because i'm i'm good on like tough love and boundaries but when it comes to like you don't understand where i'm coming from and that it's coming from a good place that can i'll be i like feel the need to show people that it's coming from a good place but
0: like you also can't do everybody's work that's what i was going to say like it also begs this place of like as much as it's it can be helpful to try to model for someone what good boundaries are mm-hmm. at the same time it's not your resp- it isn't your responsibility yeah but if you so choose to do that and you feel like you can manage that it can be helpful yeah but it's also like that's very different than like it's not your responsibility to model healthy boundaries for your mom mm-hmm. but if if there is respect enough for them to open be open to what that looks like then it feels safe to do it. Yeah. But yeah, they're probably especially as you get older, I say like your circle gets much smaller. Mm-hmm. It becomes way more about quality over quantity. Yeah. Um, and our time is. I as literally we
1: get, had that tattooed on my arm because I needed
0: to remember it. Like mm-hmm. I needed it tattooed on my face. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so cool. Um yeah, that like, and especially as we get older too, where our time is more limited. Yeah. So where we want to put our time and energy becomes a lot it, from my perspective, becomes a lot mm-hmm. easier to kind of make those choices. And especially once we place ourselves in a more healthy healthy, healthy environment because we can and you make that distinction for you childhood it's survival mode I only have especially being somewhere so remote yeah I imagine like there's only so much that you can do as an adult woman you can make all these it's it's endless possibility which sometimes feels overwhelming too
1: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it does but my mom instilled in me this like need to do everything for everybody and like that was taking care of people I'm learning that that does not work for me um and I'm learning to not do other people's work for them. Which the tough thing is that then you have to accept that sometimes people are just never gonna do that work. And if I'm, like I used to be comfortable carrying a lot of my relationships with people in my family who um, didn't reciprocate. And I had to learn like, this feels bad. Why does it feel bad? It's taking a lot of energy. It's taking up a lot of space in my brain. And they're grown. They're adults. If they wanted to do the work or even like were thinking about do the work doing the work, then
0: they would let me know. And they're not. And And they're not. I can move on in peace. And maybe circle back around to it if something changes. If I have space for it, if I want to. Yeah. I think a huge piece to this also as we speak about depression is when you struggle with depression, mm. what people fail to understand is that your your capacity, emotional energy and physical energy is so different and so limited. So a lot of the work that I do with clients is I'm like, okay, so the list that you have, the amount of things that you can get done in a day
1: mm-hmm. is going
0: to be totally different mm. than the average person or just someone that doesn't struggle with depression at all. So let's go ahead and like make that list shorter. And then the other piece is how do we like basically adjusting expectations of themselves yeah. because even just like time moves faster when you're depressed mm, what does yeah. that look like
1: like I'll sit on my rug that I put on my floor my cute little depression reading corner and I'll sit on the rug and and it feels like 10 minutes and an hour has passed mm. and I just can't and I have to just be like this is okay this is a nice rug this is why I put it here and if I don't do like have to remove, remove shame
0: Shame, it like feeds depression. Share with me a little bit about what that looks like. What's like a thought of, a shameful thought that then like makes your depression heavier, bigger, longer, stronger, feeds it?
1: Um, let me think, like the most common one that I used to have would be like, if I don't get this done, then I am a piece of shit. Productivity. Yeah, or um if I can't show up for this person, the way that they're expecting me to, then
0: they're not going to love me. Or the way that they've showed up for me. Mm -hmm. Because that's another thing with depression. It's like, I I also offer, if you feel comfortable sharing with people that you're going through depression, that is crucial Mm -hmm. because it allows them to adjust their expectations for you in the relationship. If If they have done the work to learn what depression is, that's why I wrote Break.
1: I had a partner who I loved very, very much who just couldn't wrap their mind around it and had a lack of empathy. Um, And I truly believed that they just like, didn't have any idea what it was like. And like a lot of people have lots
0: of different relationships with depression. Do you think they were scared of what that looks like or, or scared of it never going away or scared? Like, what do you think the... It, and maybe it was just lack of empathy. Yeah. But it's it's hard for me to imagine you for connecting. Or
1: sympathy? I don't know what the right word
0: is. Yeah. It would probably be empathy. Yeah. Being able to, like, connect to the feeling that you're having, having even if they yeah. don't struggle with depression themselves.
1: I think that you either have to do work to learn about things that you haven't experienced um or you have to have some kind of experience with something in order to fully understand. And I had a partner in college too, really, really didn't understand and like would be hurtful about it, but I knew like he wasn't trying to be hurtful about it, Mm -hmm. but it would hurt, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know what, it's kind of a bummer when we hang out and you're depressed. Uh, Like maybe you should like go for a walk or something and then like we can hang out then and I'm like,
0: okay, let me just go for a walk then. And fix it. And <laughs> yeah. it yeah, like it's that easy. Or wave a wand. Yeah. yeah totally. Um, you ask a great question though. And I think like as a therapist, I, like do we have to go through yeah. the exact same thing or feel the same thing in order to connect?
1: I don't think that you do, but I think that you have to go through some kind of adversity in order to have a certain level of empathy. Mm-hmm. Or you have to expose yourself to a lot of different kinds of people from different backgrounds in order to build it.
0: So you have to make an effort. Either mm-hmm. either it's happening to you and you don't have a choice or you have to go out of your way to... Yeah. Yeah. I it's really
1: fair. easy if you come from a more privileged back- background or have just like had a totally different experience to just stay in your bubble, what feels comfortable, what feels good. And I think that people who come from and have experienced more adversity, we are used to doing the work we have the muscle already we've built it up whether or not we wanted to you've been like forced to do the work Mm -hmm. and you can really care about somebody and really struggle with building those muscles i had to build a lot of muscle around empathizing with people who come from a more privileged life than me Mm -hmm. and have different struggles um i used to be not the best friend in college when i first got away from my home and in my world because I would
0: be like, Oh, you think that's bad? Have you ever X, Y, and Z, has this ever happened to you? Which is interesting because you kinda of brought that piece in, that's what your parents would do in a way. To exactly, you know? yeah, yeah. And totally. I was just doing what I
1: had been shown and what yeah. I knew, but I had it's to in your comfort zone. Take a step back and be like, This person is experiencing something that's real to them and everything is relative and depression and anxiety kind of show you that like I saw somebody having a panic attack. Outside of a class for a test because they were really, really stressed about like their grades and their parents' approval and stuff. And I was like, one of the good things about where I came from is like my parents never really stressed about that stuff because like we were fed and we were housed and it was like not their top priority, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, yeah, just being like, this is this person is still experiencing real, it's still real for them. Yeah, real and like valid emotions.
0: It's just yeah, it's weird. Well, I offer that like I think you're right, and it takes, it takes someone. You have to be. I think you have to be curious, like to to build empathy around something Mm -hmm. because you've never had that experience. It does require someone to be curious, to be a good listener. It's hard. Yeah, and to be really open to discomfort.
1: Yeah, because it's it's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and it's hard work. Mm -hmm. And so I have experienced partners and friends who wanted to do the work and then it would feel bad to them like the
0: second that it got uncomfortable they'd yeah yeah.
1: then their instinct to run or try to like downplay something or invalidate something would come out and it would be difficult for me because I I do have more adversity than a lot of the people that I know Mm -hmm. I have um just like my life experiences was tumultuous but everything is relative and so like some things that i could push through some i can sit with a lot of discomfort and i just had to learn that that is not normal mm-hmm.
0: or like something that anybody should have to do totally that like the chaos is comfortable and that's what we kind of uh, yeah. naturally gravitate towards so it's almost like creating healthy relationships or being able to set those boundaries mm-hmm. that you have to learn
1: but i feel like loving me i used to feel like was a burden for anybody because they would have to learn to sit with discomfort. And I now know that I have way more to offer and that it's worth it for people to
0: expand their emotional vocabulary and build those muscles, you know? Yes, I love talking about emotional vocabulary. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about, so we talked about your depression as a 10-year-old. Talk to me a little, about it, a little bit about it today, what it mm. looks like. And you mentioned that's why you wrote the song Break. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the evolution of writing that song. I just wanted them to know what it was like, and I thought that it would
1: help them to be a better partner for me.
0: Mm. And it did a little bit maybe didn't go how you thought it it did but (sighs) i like that you were using your like the art and the the a high Mm -hmm. a high part of yourself to express it to them because sometimes words just i mean obviously with words words are in song when we pair it's easy to tune out words Mm.
1: it's i feel like the emotion behind like music really helps get the point across yeah get Um, it across It helped a little bit. It's also why I wrote the song Panic Attack that Mm -hmm. I was telling you about earlier. I wanted to explain how that felt for me too. It sounds like a lot of your music is inspired by mental health. Yeah, I think it's like my life's work is not wanting to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I just try really hard to give myself the tools and reparent myself. Mm -hmm. and, um, And a lot of songwriting for me is like getting to connect with humans about, or other, I hate saying humans. I just, I feel like an alien whenever I say it. Connecting with other people. Yeah, people. About specific emotions and experiences that I've had because there's a level of emotion that like can break through language, life experience, backgrounds, and it feels so good. To see some, or to feel people projecting their own experiences onto the emotions that I'm sharing. It's very healing. The healing piece of it is them being like, oh my gosh, I've gone through that too. Oh my gosh, I feel that. I feel that. This touched me and reminded me of X, Y, and Z. Like, I cry when I get messages from people talking about like how something touched them, good or bad, or Mm -hmm. like they felt seen or they felt heard, or like a song got them through. I got so many messages when I released Break. I was crying like a baby. What did some people say? Um, Like, I'm dealing with a chronic illness and uh, this really touched me, or I just lost somebody, or I've been trying to explain to people how X, Y, and Z feels to me. And just like, thank you for putting words to this feeling. And I learned, like, that there were different feelings that people were feeling, but the emotion got through. Mm-hmm. And I think that music is really good at
0: helping us to feel like we're not alone. It is a really I guess, like in a healthy way, it does scoop in. Yeah, <laughs> community. And especially with the depression piece, I mean, depression is so isolating. And it can be, like I say that, like I encourage clients, if they're people who feel comfortable yeah. sharing the depression piece with them, share it. Because it helps them adjust their expectations. It helps them understand that you're just not going to be able to kind of do this, the typical things that you may not have the energy to show up. Yeah. Um, and then it helps them understand. And then the pressure's off and like when the expectations are kind of dialed down. Yeah. But it sounds like the beauty of this song, although it's written about depression, people, I mean, there's the grief piece, the depression piece. There's just... Um, lost transition that must feel good to know that people use this song that was written about one thing but it's like an umbrella sort of like expands all the different emotions of maybe loneliness or wanting to connect or yeah illness yeah mm-hmm.
1: yeah I feel like it was for me and like I'm I'm aware that like creating art is selfish any good thing that you do is selfish like even like I try not to talk about, like, if I buy food for somebody who I see needs it, or like I am like handing out water bottles on the street corners or something, to just be like, this is for me, it's selfish, I don't need other people to pat me on the back for it. But it's funny with music, it's like, this is for me, it's selfish, and I want you to tell me if, if you felt anything.
0: Like, I, I want to connect with you about it. Okay, so I want to understand this. You're saying, like, when you do a good deed or like when you do something nice for someone, there is so much beauty in the quietness of it. Yeah. It's for myself. So yeah. in, in fact, interesting, like I'm Jewish and they say the highest form of giving is anonymously. Mm-hmm. It's just for you. And yeah. there's something very humble about that. So that's what that looks like for you. But music is a little bit different. It's almost yeah. like there's beauty in the more people that it reaches or the more people that I can touch with it. It's, it's
1: selfish.
0: It, yeah. But like, selfless, at least in, at the same time.
1: It, yeah. It can mm-hmm. be... A gift Like, Jeff Tweedy wrote the very first song that I, like, identified with with my depression. It's called Please Be Patient With Me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. Who sings it? Jeff Tweedy, a Wilco. It's a Wilco song. Yeah, Wilco. Oh, cool, cool. um, yeah, like, that was a selfish song for him to write. Mm-hmm. He was writing it to get a point across to somebody, like, hey, sometimes I'm not going to be the, my best self. I am depressed. I am blah, blah, blah. But it he didn't know that it would reach so many people and mean so much to them. And that's kind of the fun. And then you like get joy from knowing that you're a part of somebody else's journey
0: emotionally. Totally. I guess I still am kind of struggling to understand like, what is selfish about writing about depression? What's selfish about like share, like what, I I don't know. I don't, for me, that doesn't register as selfish. It it registers as, as you kind of started this conversation. You're sort of like, Thank you for doing this or having our podcast is so much about normalizing or bringing visibility. You know what? When things feel good for me, I just call it selfish. Ah, <laughs> that's a whole that's, other thing. Okay, yeah. So like right, yeah. and that's cuz obviously- I was
1: raised by somebody who modeled
0: like unhealthy selflessness. Mhm. Well, I offer that like it is for as as the the receiver end of your music. It is so the how far, how far we can get from it's selfless to being it's selfish because you are creating normalcy. You're creating a conversation. You're touching people to relate to them. And 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 again, I go back to like yeah. that song for me and your depression is so unique to you. I definitely think people can relate to it. Like I think there's big bullet points, but it's a reflection of like your story. And I think it's just so selfless to share that mm. specific song and vibe and what that looks like to you because people write different songs about the same thing and they all that's the beauty of music or art it's just different interpretations of the the same it might be the same yeah. feeling but there are many experiences that get us to that feeling and then that feeling can look like different things for different people
1: i think it feels dirty sometimes or not like dirt it feels like naughty that's not the right word either mm-hmm. it feels incorrect to be rewarded for sharing something so
0: vulnerable or you like, think that's attached to the stigma of mental health though because I've been told maybe. that this thing that I'm writing about is something that's controversial or is wrong with yeah. me or something that needs to be fixed.
1: but it doesn't even have to be like a mental health song like even
0: like sharing like
1: my emotions in like a love song or like a song about a nice day it's like this is a private part of me that I'm giving out I'm just sharing it and and then to be like rewarded for that feels strange mm-hmm. I do it for me and I, I really enjoy sharing it but it's like I don't know it's just weird to yeah. be so intimate and then put it out into the world and have like, people touch have it people different- be a part of it touch mm-hmm. it take it it's like bizarre but totally. magical and also scary like yeah they interpret it i'm putting it out there to be addictive a little bit mm-hmm. to be like oh i'm building a relationship with all these people that i don't know mm-hmm. and i really want to keep doing it mm-hmm. you know and it kind of encourages me to
0: get more vulnerable mm-hmm. well please do because when you do it's it, t- it it does it touches or like you're the way you paint this picture is so beautiful Thank you. So go a little bit deeper for me in terms of what your depression looks like today and how has therapy been really helpful for you?
1: I think therapy, the biggest thing that it's done for me is validate me um, in a world that invalidates mental health Mm -hmm. and um, mental health issues and needs. And then given me tools, like now if I'm feeling, if I come home and I'm feeling anxious, I know anxiety
0: is just energy that needs to go somewhere. I'll put on a record and I'll just dance. Love that. So finding different ways to channel anxious energy into healthy spaces and places. Or like
1: I hate exercise so much. I hate it.
0: I don't want to do it. I already live an active life. I don't want to jump
1: around. That's terrible Mm -hmm. about bad joints. (laughs) But I know now that I need to exercise because it does unfortunately help. Mm -hmm. Um, And like now, if I'm feeling depressed in the morning, like oftentimes, like I wake up and I the thought that runs through my head is I want to go immediately back to sleep. I'm like, okay, I know where I'm at today. I lay in bed for a while. If I'm having a hard time communicating with my body, I will put on a Beyonce song and- Something more upbeat, something, something more- Something that yep. will get me, that will evoke a, any feeling. Cause like when I'm depressed, I can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. But I always feel Beyonce, so. Uh, what does she evoke in you? Um, some kind of primal energy, man. Yeah. I don't know, mm-hmm. there's something
0: something about her that's like let's fucking do this yeah totally like it hypes you up yeah and that energy yeah it comes through the music and helps you get up i always yeah. offer it's when i'm doing work with clients in terms of the depression piece typically well often we experience anxiety and depression together and they feed one another and it cycles through. and it cycles and then shame is sprinkled in there the, spr- the sprinkles on top <laughs> yes and then shame is sprinkled in there Whereas with anxiety, it's very, very much like thought based. Mm-hmm. So I can help clients understand sometimes it's literally just like replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts. It's like yeah. a strategy. Yeah. Depression is so different in yeah. that we cannot think ourselves out of depression. I can't think someone I out. I can't of- think at all when I'm depressed. <laughs> totally. It's like we can't think at all of that cloud. Like some people describe it as like a cloud or not being able mm-hmm. to feel. Sometimes it's like, um, if you imagine like an like armor, like that, a. Uh, Soldier wears, it's like arrows. It's just feelings are the arrows, and they just have a shield, and it's like nothing sticks. Yeah. So, depression work with clients. I cannot, we cannot think our way out of depression. Mm -hmm. So, I can't lift one leg or the other and help them move. It really is so physical, and that's what makes it so challenging.
1: But I love that,
0: like, music, or especially, specifically Beyonce for you, can just help get any kind of tiny, tiny feeling, just a jump start, just a flicker to help you move through it. But that's what makes depression so complicated and a a bit from my perspective scary sometimes very difficult because the physical piece I cannot lift put one foot I can't help Mm -hmm. them put one foot in front of the other whereas sometimes with the anxiety it's again it's a little more thought-based you have to you have to learn how to slow
1: yourself down and like you can you at least can see what is happening with depression I feel like the scariest part about it is that if you're early on in your relationship with depression or exploring it like you don't know what's happening you think that you're broken
0: Hmm and totally. you think nobody's gonna understand yes totally and you yeah, have that physical toll, and it looks different for everybody mm-hmm. but yes it's just like it makes it a little bit more for me a dip more a little more a little more harder to treat a lot slower and a lot of it is from even as a therapist i'm yeah. like i want to like i want to help i want to do so much more but i have to adjust my expectations as well because yeah
1: i think it's uh, my therapists have worked with me on adjusting my expectations for myself when i'm depressed saying things to myself and showing myself through actions like it's okay to slow down. I just am running out of these happy chemicals. Mm-hmm. My brain is trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. Um, this is never going to go away. Mm-hmm. I can just learn to live with it in a gentler way so mm-hmm. that shame spiraling doesn't happen and then mm-hmm. turn into anxiety. And mm-hmm. then I become like overcorrectingly manic and mm-hmm. trying to Outrun it because I felt for a long time like if I did everything, a lot of things, too many things, then it, I would the be skills. able to get them done before I was depressed. And I didn't realize that it was accelerating that cycle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I've been really fortunate with the therapists and counselors that I've had uh, that they have just been like, "Yeah, that makes sense." Like the very validating. Piece. validating yeah, you're not wrong. You're not weird. There's and then wrong tool with you. oriented instead okay. of saying like. Well, you need to do this. You need to get on medication. Like Mm -hmm. when I was exploring medication or talking about like, should I go see a psychiatrist with one of my therapists? They were like, well, what do you want to do? How do you feel about when you're depressed? And now I think I'm at a place where I'm annoyed, obviously, when I'm depressed, but I can talk myself into being gentle about it and gentle with
0: myself and kind you seem like you've done a really good job to cultivate your inner voice to be very gentle and very kind to yourself because often in depression in depression you said it's like that inner voice is incredibly critical you're a piece of shit you're and we would never speak like that no to a friend to someone else it's Mm -hmm. wild yeah and, and I
1: got to some places with my depression um I was like suicidal ideation or whatever that the term is. I wanted
0: to ask you, I know you mentioned, yeah. your, you said, you phrased it as like your life's work is... Not trying, wanting to kill not myself. wanting to kill myself. Yeah. If you're comfortable, Julia, going in a little bit deeper of any kind of ideation you've ever had, what that looked yeah. like
1: for you. Well, I guess one of the ways my depression showed up early, it's funny how like all these like doors in my brain are opening because yeah. they are like put in their place. Mm-hmm. I used to sit in the second story window of one of our first houses dangling my feet at night when people were sleeping and just thinking about jumping or like, what if I slid a little bit this way? Mm -hmm. And I would think like, I realized what my core emotion was though and that helped me to not feel so afraid of it. I just wanted whatever I was feeling to stop because it was too much. That's what it was. Like it wasn't being addressed. It was too painful. It was too much. I felt helpless as a kid. I felt like helpless as an adult sometimes because my circumstances are so different from a lot, most of the people that I know. And I felt lonely in it. Um, so I, yeah, I would just like put myself in dangerous situations. And then in college I would like drink, and I used to break into rooftops and jump from building to building and, like, go home with strange people and pick fights and, like, really just Reckless. Push, push myself, the yeah. push the boundaries. Um, but the thing that, like, when I was 16, I want to say, I have a journal entry about this. Sometimes I'll go back and read it just to be reminded of, like, where my self-awareness started. Mm-hmm. I was talking about killing myself and I realized I didn't want to die. I just wanted to stop feeling. I wanted to be healthy and happy and like experiencing life like a healthy person would, but it was just too much. I just really felt so
0: overwhelmed by existing that it needed to go away and the, so if i wasn't present then at least i know that feeling wouldn't exist anymore exactly yeah totally and do you feel like julia had you had the support nuclear family extended places safe places family schools you know police like when yeah. you think about like a community that would have said what can we do to help you what do you need how do you want to address this maybe you wouldn't have felt that way
1: yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I know there are people who f- feel very supported
0: but still have totally. gotten to that place. So yep. it's, I don't know. I mean, specific to you, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of. Yeah. I think I, because no child should be, it shouldn't be expected for you. Like, normal reaction to abnormal event, and that's like my favorite definition of trauma, mm-hmm. because it's not normal for someone that young yeah. to go through that many emotions and have that little support. So if wanting the, the overwhelmingness to end, or anxiety, depression, recklessness, dangling the feet pushes suicidality. To mm-hmm. me, normal, because what you're experiencing is not normal.
1: Yeah, so I think if, if I was young and I had support, I probably would have still been too numb to what was happening around me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in adulthood, I feel myself softening, and sometimes that's difficult because I'll get a call from home and something has happened that um, is so normal to them that will wreck me for like weeks because I've softened so much. I love that I've softened. It's difficult to see people still living in survival mode that I care so much about, but it's really hard. It's really hard work to break that cycle and to get out of it. So I understand why some people aren't choosing to do that work. It's scary. It's hard. I felt like I was isolated from my family at points because of like healthy choices I was making. Totally, unless they're doing that work with you, it just creates a space. And it it isn't personal to anybody. Like I had a friend breakup that was, it, it just wasn't healthy, a healthy friendship. And they took it very, 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 very personally. <laughs> and that was so hard, but I had to just be like, listen, I think just our definitions of friendship are different. But if somebody isn't at the place where they even have like the vocabulary to understand what that means, they're gonna take it personally. And that's difficult and triggering and
0: sad. Totally, absolutely. Wow, yeah. Anything else that you'd like to share with us about your depression? Anything you think would be helpful for people to hear? I can't thank you enough for your vulnerability around this topic. And I wanna be mindful too, even going as deep as, the suicidality piece and sharing that with us, that goes hand in hand with depression. So Mm. it is, I'm not surprised that that's something that you've experienced. And I so appreciate going that vulnerable for us and sharing that because that is the ultimate of what people often don't want to talk about or don't want to say often when someone dies, there's a lot of mystery if it's you know death by suicide. So normalizing that for everybody, especially as we pair that with depression is incredibly helpful. It's also like to hold me accountable
1: I don't want to kill myself. I don't want to die. I don't want to do that. And so I have to let people know so that it's I don't feel so lonely in that feeling because I know I'm not, now I know I'm not the only person who experiences this. I have a great community, I've got tools and resources and I feel safe talking about it. The scariest thing about depression is like the isolation and I don't want to give that any power. And that's what fuels me to share. I don't want anybody to feel the way that I. I'm mean, like getting emotional. Like it's so scary when you feel like you you're at capacity and you can't feel anymore. And you, f- it feels like nobody's gonna understand. And I think that the most powerful thing that we can do um, to help is to just. Let people know
0: that it's okay and that it's normal and that they're not alone. Love that. It's like at the height of which I think that this is too much for anyone to get or understand or connect to or I am... That's the moment at which we need to connect and we need to share. Yeah. Even if my body and my mind tell me that I shouldn't. Yeah, my body and my mind are telling me I'm a burden and I need to stop existing.
1: Mm. You know? You don't have to do that. There's lots of other options and sometimes your body's just trying to tell you that you're at capacity
0: and Mm -hmm. like something has to change. What does it mean to listen to that? Oh, so good, Julia. Thank you. Okay, I have two questions for you that we like to ask everyone on the show. One is if you could almost like tag someone to come on the show and perform one song that from your perspective must tap it, must reflect some sense of like mental health experience, Mm -hmm. who would it be? What song would it be and why? I mentioned Jeff Tweedy earlier. Mm -hmm. I
1: fully, I'm like in a little... No, I'm in another Jeff Tweedy phase. I'm like always cool. Circling <laughs> coming back to, to Jeff Tweedy because his lyrics and the way that he evokes emotion, um, like I think that he has been helping me to like save my own life, just like feeling present. I read his book. He talked about his relationship with addiction and depression and anxiety and just that kind of visibility and ability to turn it into such beautiful things mm. is incredible.
0: Love it. Um, and then if you found a magic genie lamp and rubbed it and got three wishes, can be anything in the world, unlimited money, unlimited resources, except extra wishes, mm-hmm. what would three wishes be? I, I can never answer this question because I think too
1: much. Okay. I'm like, if I, <laughs> if I wanted, like, unlimited chocolate croissants, it would be mm-hmm. like, where are they coming from? Am I exploiting people <laughs> to get them? them? Or are they from Paris? <laughs> yeah, like, is, is it going to create... Am I going to not like chocolate croissants anymore? <laughs> um, if I wish for money, then there are, like, too many stipulations to all of my wishes. It. I'd be like, I want to erase student debt. Okay, that's a great one. This is, like, anything you want. But then, like, what would that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what would that mean, you know? Totally. Um, but it's let's like, just say, let's open put that question. up there. I want health care and mental health resources to be... Available to everybody, everywhere, all the time. It should be free. Cool. I think that is very important. I don't care about what bad repercussions could come from that. Yeah. I don't care. Love it. Um, And then I want... Oh, I know what. I want people to have to take a test. See that? No, this is not... It gets tricky. Because I want people to take a test before... Or be certified to become a parent, or bring children into the world, or like to house children. Mm. But then, like, I'm sure that with any amount of power and control, there comes um, greed and corruption. So I don't even want to think about the dystopian world where somebody's deciding who gets to have children yeah, and why. Yeah, the other extreme of that, yeah, I get so, that. I, I don't. The third wish is always the hardest. Uh, I I wish give <laughs> <You can't laughs> me <mean> anything.
0: <laughs> To be something small.
1: Oh, okay. I wish that people had to be. Um, had to pass a test in order to adopt pets. Okay. I think that's safer hmm. because my heart breaks for mistreated animals. Yeah. Do you have any animals? I have a cat. Oh, what's her name or his name? I'm her name too. is Pudding. Cute. Um, I thought it'd be funny to have a cat named Pudding Cannon. <laughs> she has really good RBF, resting bitch face, uh-huh. and she is another really good tool for, um, managing my depression. Ask she, re- it's really hard to like stay in your head when there's a little gremlin
0: Yeah, in your home. It gives you purpose, something to take care of, something to take you out of your body. Sometimes butt. I'm just like, there's an animal in my house, mm-hmm. you know? I love that. Thank you so much, Julia. This was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mind of a Song. Please hit subscribe to be the first to listen to future episodes and rate and review us. Be sure to follow us on social media at Mind of a Song Podcast for behind the scenes footage of our episodes and to learn more about the podcast myself and our guests today. The views, information, or opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the individuals involved and by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and guests can change at any time. Where guests appear on this podcast, the views of those guests are solely their views and the company does not accept responsibility for them. Such views are the views of guests and not the company. Meg PLC PLLC, provides the podcast, including any references, links, or other knowledge resources for information purposes only. They do not provide any medical or professional advice on the podcast. Anything said should not be taken as a replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If if you take any action or inaction as a result of any of the content you consume on this podcast, this is based solely on your decision and Meg PLC PLLC cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Accessing or using this podcast does not create a therapist-patient relationship between you and Meg PLC. PLLC. Nothing about this podcast is intended to establish a therapist-patient relationship to replace the services of a trained therapist, doctor, or health professional, or otherwise to substitute for professional mental health, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment.